Welcome to episode nine of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I'm excited to have with me today a member of Lead Boston, class of 2015. Lead Boston is an executive education program that focuses on the inner workings of Boston and socially responsible leadership. I'm proud to be a member of this year's class as well. My guest is also a member of the One in Three Council, a project of the mayor of Boston that aims to maximize the talents of Boston's 20 to 34 year old demographic, which is one third of the city's total population. He's a consultant focused on creating opportunities for women and people of color within the world of real estate development. He works with developers to craft and monitor their diversity and resident employment objectives. He designed and manages a multi-year commercial real estate internship partnership between a real estate developer and UMass Boston. He works at CAGE, a multifaceted consulting firm with expertise in diversity solutions. Prior to joining CAGE, he co-founded Sport Yourself, a new media company focused on creating a dynamic video platform. Please join me in welcoming Senem Kumahia. Senem, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Robbie, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you providing this opportunity. Well, that's excellent. So I just want to jump right in. I know my audience will be curious a little bit more about your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, Robbie, I think what leadership means to me is having a vision or a goal and developing a strategy to get to it and really working with others to understand that goal and how they can help in achieving it. It's, it's about guidance, I would think, uh, about showing other individuals or team members you know, what the desired outcome of a situation is uh, and why and how do you get to it. Uh, furthermore, I think leadership is also about creating access. It's you know, allowing individuals on your team or if it's just one person to access within them what it is that they need to do to get to the next level or to accomplish a goal. And it's, you know, it's part art, part science, I think. And it's knowing when to push, when to resist, when to demand more uh, without adversity affecting the team or deviating from your goal. And leadership, I think, can be encapsulated in those different ways. Yeah, I mean, that's really great because it is broad and multifaceted. Uh, When did you realize you had those skills? You know, I think, quite honestly, I'm still developing those skills. I can't point to one specific moment where I had an aha and said, I've got those skills. I think it's a gradual process, for me at least. Uh, It's almost situational. You look at the situation or your environment, and you recognize what needs to be done, what should be done, and how, and then you get to work. So as I look at you know, my day-to-day or look back on some of my experiences, I think I exhibited and, and experienced leadership in a number of different ways. So for example, uh, I'm involved at the Boston Renaissance Charter Public School. Uh, I've been on the board of trustees there for a few years, and I was recently selected to be the chairman of the board. Uh, in that capacity, You've got to work with a number of different constituents and make them understand that the goal of 
what we're all doing is to have a fully functioning school where the students are at the center and are performing really well. So you've got to you know, bring together all of these different people, whether it's teachers, other trustees, community members, parents, and make them realize that this is the vision, this is the goal, and this is how we all work towards getting there. You know, in my work at CAGE, uh, I've worked on this internship program where over the course of the last two years, we've had 33 students who've uh, had the opportunity to work with some of the most preeminent real estate firms in New England and get exposure to commercial real estate and hospitality. And through that, they also got professional development. They got to network. They got paid, which I'm sure was the most important for them. Um, but creating that opportunity didn't happen out of thin air. You had to pull together a team and really make everyone understand, whether it was the employers, the students, the university, uh, how to make them understand what we're trying to do and how we're going to get to the next level. And uh, you know, part of leadership, as I was saying at the outset, is, is not necessarily working by yourself, but it's creating a team or working within a team and making sure everyone's pulling in the right direction. And I think we were very, really, excuse me, we were able to do that quite successfully, especially with that internship program. You know, we have a lot of talk these days about leadership, but I think there's also a way we're talking about followership. followership. So you can't, be a leader in a vacuum, it sounds like. What you're saying is it is about building that team uh, of people both supporting that work and interested in following that work because, you know, alone in the room, that's not leadership. It's a really a very kind of outwardly facing, engaging with your community, engaging with your team. And those are some good examples of how you accomplish that. Would you say that that, that makes sense? Absolutely. And I think, furthermore, not just having people follow you, but understand why they're following you and where they're trying to get to and how that impacts what they're doing. Because the more clarity and transparency you have in, in terms of individuals understanding what it is they're doing and why and what the expected outcome is, I think the stronger your team will be and the better the efforts will be to execute whatever your intended outcome is. So what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing now? What I love about the work I do is we create opportunities. We create opportunities for uh, individuals or companies who may not otherwise have that chance. So, for example, with the internship program, I'll use that because it's the most recent example. Uh, we had students at UMass Boston who are phenomenally talented, who come from all different types of backgrounds all over the state. Uh, and actually, this past session had students from around the world. These students may not typically have an opportunity to work with some of these real estate firms. Uh, we we're talking about commercial developers, architecture firms, construction managers, you name it. A lot of those firms do a lot of their recruiting at other universities in the Boston area, and it's difficult for uh, UMass Boston and sometimes other universities to have their students be considered for some of those opportunities. So what we did very purposefully with our internship program is we went to UMass Boston because they've got a strong strong talent pool there, a diverse talent pool. And we came to them and said, listen, what we'd like to do is present this opportunity for the best and brightest students you've got and let them understand and let them get exposure to the commercial real estate world. So the way that we set the program up was that we had a 10 week uh, full time uh, each week, 40 hours per week, paid internship where they got to work alongside these real estate companies and real estate experts uh, in a meaningful way. So it wasn't just getting coffee or pushing papers, but it was really getting involved in challenging projects and understanding what it takes to be successful. We also 
were able to have them participate in professional development workshops where they uh, worked on their presentation skills, they worked on their writing skills, but then also took them out of their day-to-day jobs and uh, had them go to different events like a grand opening for a building or visit a development site in Providence, really giving them a full experience uh, about what goes on, not just in the real estate world, but what goes on in the workplace and outside of it. What's been great about that opportunity is that we've got a couple of the students who were offered full-time jobs. Some were, some had extended internships, uh, but all of them definitely, and I say this because they've said it to me, they all became stronger, more hireable, desirable candidates. That I love on the student side because you start young and you give them the foundation to move forward. With some of the companies that we work with, or some of the firms that we work with, uh, they typically uh, have been working in the same type of projects for an extended period of time. And you know, as Boston is experiencing this real estate boom, you look to the skyline, you see cranes going up everywhere. Uh, some of them may not have the opportunities to participate in some of those bigger projects. So what we're doing at CAGE is finding ways for these companies to get involved in some of these bigger projects, thereby helping them grow and to be more successful. So, And those, uh, those uh, organizations you're, you're talking about now, those vendors, are mostly uh, run by uh, minority-owned businesses and or women-owned businesses. Is that right? That's, that's correct. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's particularly they're probably don't have the same access, the same networks, and you're helping them make those bridge connections because oftentimes people get hired because there's a relationship already in place. They have some sort of connection or past work experience that they have, you know, oh, I know you. We used to do that other job together, but it, they're left out of the loop. I mean, right. Without, without cage. Exactly. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to address how do we create that access and create those relationships where these firms can put themselves in a position to be uh, competitive, to be successful, and to really you know, be involved as the Boston economy, as it specifically pertains to real estate, is doing well. So you've, you've sort of outlined the problem here, right, which is uh, access for students to acquire these amazing skills and, and therefore hopefully find their way into this industry. Uh, and of course, these you know, diverse pool of um, consultants and suppliers being being brought in as well. That all sounds very challenging at the same time. Is there something in particular that you've you've found a way to overcome that was challenging about that? What I found that's challenging, Robbie, is sometimes it's not fully embraced that we need to be more inclusive in projects or inclusive with our workforce. And I can point to an example of a conversation that I had earlier this summer where we were discussing how do we go about building a pipeline of either companies or individuals that can work on some of these projects that are going on in the greater Boston area. And one person in the conversation said, well, this is all well and good and I believe that we need to create a pipeline, but it takes a long time to build a pipeline and I need people or firms today, tomorrow. This is a very cyclical business that we're in. By the time we develop those individuals or those firms to be able to compete on types of projects that I'm working on, this economy may not look the same and we may, we may not have opportunities for them. So in essence, what's the point? And that is one way of looking at it. But the other way of looking at it is you've got to start somewhere. You can't just turn around or snap your fingers and say, 
great, we've got a workforce or we've got firms that can satisfy all of the demands here. We've got to take it step by step, which is difficult because we're all results oriented and we want results right away. But you've got to change that mindset where you're looking at short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals and understand that they all have a place and we've got to be able to follow through that continuum in order to get to where we want to go. I mean, it does sound that is a, a the outline of that question uh, is still very challenging. There is the needs right now. There are some mandates about workforce hiring. Uh, there's a desire to work with maybe a more diverse supplier network. But until those are developed, those pipelines are developed, there is going to be the like, oh, how do we how do we do that now? Um, right. But you're right. We have to be looking ahead, looking to the future. And there's this planning piece to it, um, which sounds very exciting because, you know, uh, the the building uh, is going to go up and down. There's going to be like booms and busts around uh, construction and it'll it'll boom again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and when it booms again, you want to be you want to be in ready. a position yeah, where you're ready and you're not yeah. answer, asking the same questions and answering it the same way. I could see that being really challenging, though, and, and trying to both help people see the small victories that you have and even the people in the programs, helping them understand that they're in this sort of for that long term career shift or to build their brand and their their network wider for future opportunities and not not always for tomorrow. So, yeah, that's that's a really <laughs> it is a challenge. It sounds like Cage has really developed a, a great way of working on that and you're you've been doing some great work with that internship you described helping think about you know even a very young age how do you get people sort of thinking about moving forward and of course you are now also connected to this charter school so you have a different mindset about what is the earliest you might need to start this process to get people you know in the in the right way ready to embrace these new skills of course yeah so you know a common struggle for anyone who's you know, struggling for success. And you're, you're clearly, as you said, driven and motivated. You know, it's the fear of being wrong, of making mistakes, or even failing. So could you tell us a little something about what you're not good at? And, and how do you deal with that? Well, I think it relates to what I said a moment ago about being results oriented and wanting those results immediately. What I'm not good at is waiting for results. Uh, as many people are, I am very motivated and love to get things done right and then de- get it done quickly. Uh, I had a friend who once told me the best way to proceed is to do something right the first time and to do it faster the next time. But that's not the way the world works in actuality. So one of the things that I am trying to wrestle with is how do you get those results, but how do you have some semblance of patience, understanding that results don't happen overnight? Uh, so that's one of the things that I'm focusing on is, is setting the goal, working with others to understand what that goal is and how we can achieve it, but then also recognizing that the goal isn't going to come or the result isn't going to come overnight. So that's what I would say that I'm not good at. I'm not good at waiting for success. <laughs> well, you're probably going to reach it that much faster than the rest of us because of that. <laughs> but it, it is it is a, a long game. I think that is kind of hard, um, to, especially when you believe so strongly in the outcome uh, and you really, really want. In this case, it's really about you know people's lives being bettered because they have access to great jobs or careers or networks, and so you don't really want to wait for that. Um, so I, that's a. I think that's a pretty common struggle, actually, the idea of patience in those moments. 
So I also can imagine that this is a kind of job that is hard to kind of leave at work. You know, it sort of stays with you because um, you're you're probably thinking about connections all day long as you move through the world and your different places. Uh, I, I've seen you, you know, network in action. So there's got to be some downtime, though, uh, some sense of, you know, life outside the office. So within that in mind, what does self-care look like for you? Sure. So in my in my downtime, I love to stay active. I like to do things like cycle. I've recently tried boxing. I'll try yoga, things like that where I'm doing physical activity. But I also love to read. Uh, I enjoy cooking to the best that I can um, and spending time with friends and family. I think it's one of those things that is sometimes overlooked. You can be in your day to day and going to work, coming back from work and focused on on all that comes with that, but you really need to make time to understand how are your friends doing? You know, how, how's your family doing? Because without those types of personal relationships, I think you, you're lacking something. Is there any particular habit that you're struggling to adopt into your life? I wish I could be more consistent about the amount of time I have to read. I, I do enjoy reading a number of different types of books. Uh, but work gets busy, you work late at night, you know, and you put your computer down, but then you pick up your laptop. I'm sorry, you put your computer down, and then you pick up your iPad. Uh, and so really trying to unplug is one of those things I'm trying to do. Uh, I often find myself, you know, looking at my phone while I'm on the computer and while talking to something to multitasking or thinking that I'm multitasking. I really need to think, focus on getting one task done get it done well, and then be able to unplug and, and know that you've accomplished all you needed to for that specific day or for that specific project, and then you move forward. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but leaders are readers. So, I have. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Some of the people that we really look up to in the world you know, read a book a week uh, or maybe even more. So, <laughs> I wonder what their secret is, Robbie. You know, um, they commit to it. They set aside time, and I, I, I have a common – I share that sort of struggle with set aside, setting aside time. And, um, you know, as my listeners are, are learning, I am a dad, and so – but I've already got that mindset of wanting to learn everything I possibly can. And so I'm splitting my time between, you know, podcasting and my business and reading lots of books about parenting and baby gear. And I realized that if I didn't sort of just say I'm going to, you know, move through a chapter a day, I would – I wouldn't do it at all. It just piled up next to me. So, um, yeah, it's not easy to do, but it is a habit that I think you have to form like every other habit. Um, well, I'll, I'll follow your lead and I will start doing it then. Yeah, I'd love to hear. We see we should check in and see how that goes in a little bit. We should. We should. Um, that, so the leaders are, leaders are readers. That's like a good thing for us to pull out of this conversation. And I'm glad you pointed that out. And it also sounds like outside of, you know, your day job at CAGE, you're also very active in the community. So that takes, that's sort of, I don't know if that's the same kind of downtime per se as cycling and reading, but you're very active in um, Lead Boston, which is how I know you, the senior leadership program. Uh, and of course, your work with one in three. Are you guys, do you do programming? Like, what's your role with one in three? Sure. So the way that one in three is set up is I think there are about 35 or so individuals that are part of the group. And uh, everyone in the group is between the ages of 20 to 34 uh, because the Boston demographic is such one, three people is between those ages. And we meet once a month uh, on the first Monday of a month and we discuss uh, 
um, a specific topic or we have a, a specific presenter come in and make a presentation about what they're doing uh, in the city. So, for example, a few months ago, we had the CTO for the city of Boston come in and talk about some of the initiatives that they're working on. We had two people from the new urban mechanics group at City Hall come in and talk about some of their initiatives and how they're looking to make housing more affordable for millennials or more attractive for millennials. Uh, So it's a number of different um, topics are discussed on program days. And then we've also broken the group into different projects, project groups, excuse me, where we're all focused on a project that will highlight or showcase or help make uh, Boston a better city for millennials. So for example, there is one group who recently hosted an event uh, for an environmental organization focused around sustainability and how millennials can be involved in that effort. Uh, My project group, what we're doing is we're producing a video that highlights what millennials in City Hall are doing, what types of work and what types of initiative they are focused on. So we interviewed folks in the BRA, folks in the environmental uh, agency, you know, really trying to get an understanding of what it is millennials are doing in City Hall to make the city better for other millennials. It sounds like this particular network that you you were invited to join, you had, you had to be asked to join, right? This was not open. Right. I was selected. selected. I, think, I think there were in the neighborhood of three, 350 applicants. Wow. Uh, and of that, you know, 35 of us, I think or so were selected. So there was a fair amount. Yeah, there was a fair amount of activity around trying to become part of the group. And I know there are a lot of really great candidates that are doing some phenomenal things outside of the the group that weren't selected. But uh, I find myself or consider myself to be very fortunate to, to be part of the group. And so you actually have been part of some conversations around housing and millennials with the city of Boston. And, and uh, those are conversations you otherwise probably wouldn't have had access to. Exactly. So I was fortunate enough to be asked to, to join a task force that some individuals in City Hall had put together around housing for millennials. We brought together a group of millennials, developers, architects uh, to discuss, you know, what is the state of housing in Boston and what are some of the things that millennials are thinking about uh, as they look to moving out of apartments and potentially purchasing homes and wanting to stay in the city as opposed to move out to the suburbs. So we talked about things like transit-oriented development. You know, what does parking situations look like? Do you want to have bikes? Do you need high density? You know, just some of the different things that we're all thinking about. What types of amenities need to be in the building, close to the building? Uh, And it's a way to give a voice to the process uh, you know, because I, in my work and in my relationships and networking around Boston, have got a good sense of what a lot of the people are looking for when they're talking about their housing. And someone else brings a different perspective and someone else brings a different perspective. And once you get those voices into the room and you're really able to communicate what it is that we collectively have heard from our peers, I think we're able to, if not influence, at least uh, communicate and advocate to these developers and other stakeholders what it is millennials are looking for when they're thinking about housing. So uh, that was a great example of you taking your experience and connections to your day job, consulting around real estate development, and then applying it to another passion of yours, you know, having the civic engagement, also attention for millennials, 
and of course housing being a big issue in Boston. So it sounds like you you made that great match. But I also know you're involved, as you said, as a chair of this charter school, uh, Renaissance. But are, are you parents? Do you like what is your connection to that community and and being part of that school? Uh, my connection to the community is I had a good friend of mine who I actually went to high school and college and then actually worked with for a bit after college. He went to the Renaissance uh, as a child and worked there for a year um, dur- between college and then uh, his current full-time job now. And he invited me to their annual gala a few years ago, and I was blown away by what I saw. I, the gala was held at the school. It's a beautiful campus out in Hyde Park. And we had these students who were doing things like speaking Mandarin. They created computer programs. They were doing some really great things with visual arts. Uh, they have a choir that is phenomenal. The choir has actually been invited to sing at the White House twice. And, you know, I I was not, I had always heard from him, there are great things that are happening at the Renaissance, and I had never had the opportunity to experience them firsthand. But when I went out and saw what was going on, I immediately said to him afterwards, how can I get involved? And it just so happened that they were looking to add to their board of trustees. So I raised my hand, I went through the process, and was fortunate enough to be selected to be on the board of trustees. Uh, That was about two years ago, uh, and this past summer, actually, um, I was selected to be the chair of the board. That's amazing. So, I mean, what a great opportunity. You really did take that uh, great, strong connection you had with a friend you've known for a long time, but now your friend has managed to pull you in to a whole new sphere and a whole new network that you probably wouldn't have even thought to be connected with. And now here you are in this leadership role and that's probably opening lots of doors for you, both in being able to influence Renaissance, but are there other projects or ways you've stayed connected that way? Uh, connected to the Renaissance, you mean? Yeah. What what kind of opportunities have come because of your work with Renaissance? So because of my work with Renaissance, I am actually going to be traveling to Beijing this coming November. The Renaissance has a fantastic Mandarin program, and we're always looking to expand it and you know really improve the instruction and the access that our students have to not just the language, but also the culture. So there's a program that's being put on and I've been invited to participate in where we share best practices and understand what it takes to really make a Mandarin program successful. So I'll be in Beijing for about a week and a half or so, uh, working with different school leaders and administrators to understand what it is that they do at their schools and how we can bring that back to our students here at the Renaissance. So this is really fascinating. What started out as just sort of a... you saying yes to a friend, oh, sure, I'll come to this gala and fundraiser and see what's going on. And now a few years later, you're in a leadership role in a, in a whole new community. Um, and so you're not a parent, right? You're don't know kids. I, I, I'm not a parent. I yeah. didn't go there. You didn't go there. So you're not, a, not an alum. And yet you're being able to influence this. And because of your connections, you're now, <laughs> you're now traveling to Beijing to, uh, to hear how you could bring some of that back and, and do like a share on experiences. So, um, wow, what a fantastic opportunity and, and one that you clearly carved out for yourself. A lot of people wouldn't be open to new experiences outside of what their you know, real comfort zone is. They maybe wouldn't have extended themselves to try something new, like be part of a, like a new community or a new school experience like that. Uh, and here you are having 
some some really great influence it sounds like uh on on these young lives and they're doing amazing things so right and, and i would and i would be remiss if i didn't say that it's a team effort of course yeah robbie yeah, i can't do it by myself and i don't do it by myself we've got phenomenal teachers who are in the classroom and in the building every day we've got great school leadership the board of trustees is strong so collectively and i can't forget about the parents also collectively we're all in this mission together where we're trying to cultivate Boston's best and brightest minds and put them in a position to be successful, not just here in our city, but internationally as well. That's great. And so because of all these experiences, uh, you were invited to apply for Lead Boston, uh, which actually usually the folks in Lead Boston have 15 to 30 years work experience. I know that's not actually not the case for you, but clearly you have demonstrated in your short career uh, you know, an interest in taking on great leadership roles and kind of moving yourself up those those uh, ladder of opportunity, I guess I would call it. So what has your experience been like at Lead Boston? My experience at Lead Boston has been phenomenal. I think our class that we've got this year is great. We've got individuals who are doing a number of wonderful things in private sector and nonprofit. And I really look forward to each program day because I get an opportunity to hear from some of Boston's best minds and greater Boston's best minds, you know, and about what they're experiencing on their day to day and really get an opportunity to think about things from a different perspective. The program days are phenomenal. They really are eye opening and they take you out of your day to day and make you think about things that you ordinarily wouldn't wouldn't do so. So, for example, in our last program day where we had the opportunity to go to the Suffolk County Jail and and see what that world is like and what leads to, you know, being there, how people are living there, or I shouldn't say living, excuse me, uh, what their situations are there, what it takes to get out, you know, all the different dynamics uh, around that. One of the program days where we were at um, Mass General Hospital or at Boston Medical Center, hearing about some of the challenges and victories that the doctors and the nurses are are experiencing, you know, it's phenomenal to, because you can walk by people all day long. For example, you see many folks who are homeless, unfortunately, and you may not understand what their story is. But when you talk to these individuals, these doctors, these nurses who are at places like MGH, and they talk about the programs that they have instituted and the different types of people that they're seeing come in and how they got there and why they're there and the care that they require, it really gives you a a different sense and a different outlook on the people that you may ordinarily just walk on by. Uh, so for me, Lead Boston has been a life-changing experience because it really gives me another perspective and another prism to look at things through. Uh, and it also has provided me with a network of great, great people that I can hopefully always count on if I may need anything or if they need anything from me. But it's also allowed me to make some new friends, which has been great. So, you know, your professional network has definitely changed a lot in the last five years. It seems like you have jumped into a lot of new spaces. How are you nurturing those new relationships? You know, what I try to do is I try to get together with people on a somewhat consistent basis. Um, You know, I try to reach out, whether it's by phone or having lunch or coffee, just to hear about what they're up to. And this understanding that there are all kinds of strains on people's schedule. But I think it's important to try to nurture relationships by being present, you know, asking people, what are they up to? How can you help them? 
I think being able to put yourself in a position where you can help people or connect people to other people who might be able to help them is invaluable. Uh, I love to meet up with people uh, at least once a month, sometimes more, have a cup of coffee or have lunch and just talk about what they're seeing from their perspective of the world. And not it doesn't always have to be someone who's, you know, a, completely aligned with what you're doing or in the same industry that you're doing. I've, I've found that it's really interesting to talk to folks who are outside of your industry and you can hear what they're up to. So for example, you know, I'm focused primarily on, on real estate these days, but I've recently had lunch with someone who is doing technology startups and you hear about some of the things that are going on in their world and it allows you to think differently and helps you to be smarter about what's going on in the city. Yeah, is uh, do you set aside a certain amount of time each week to have those kinds of meetings or phone calls, or is it sort of happenstance? How do you organize yourself? I try to do at least an hour or two a week, uh, and you know that's situational. If there, if work is is really busy, then I may not be able to do it. But I really do try to do uh, at least an hour or two where. And maybe one hour completely dedicated to lunch, or if it's a half an hour here and a half an hour there, um, you really just got to try to be focused and consistent in terms of setting time aside to to really cultivate and nurture those relationships. So, you know, thinking back uh, to when you were 25 and just getting started in your career, is there some piece of advice, something in particular you would have told yourself in order to build a strong and supportive professional network? Sure. I would say get out of your comfort zone. And in this specific example or a specific instance, what I mean is get out there and meet new people. I think it's really, really important for each of us to not just go to work and come back and then do the same thing the next day, but to get involved, whether it's civically, you know, if it's a neighborhood association or if it's a professional association or just something that you're interested in, like a book club or a wine club or whatever it might be. I think it's important to get out and meet new people and really try to create relationships with folks that you may not have a chance to do so on a day-to-day basis uh, because that's a, Boston is a very small city. You realize that you're only a few degrees of separation from somebody else. And I think it's important that if you're really trying to be successful, if you're trying to get out there, it's important to have a strong network and strong foundation of people that you can call on. It sounds amazing. Like you've you've definitely have been living that, and maybe your twenty five year old self already knew some of that because you've clearly you've clearly done a lot of those steps. Um, so, if we were meeting a year from now, and you were you were telling me a little bit about what a great year it's been, what accomplishments would we be celebrating? I had the conversation with my wife about actually, you know, this past year, my birthday's coming up. She said, you know, a lot has happened this year, and I was like, what do you mean? Because I kind of just do things, and then they add up. So she's like, you're part of Lead Boston. You're part of one and three. You're the chair of the Renaissance School. Cage is going well. I was like, whoa, I didn't really stop to think about all of those things. So I think it is difficult to kind of say with any degree of certainty what will come up in the next year because in my in my year, this past year, so many good things have happened and I didn't foresee them coming at the outset. So I know there are some things like the internship program, growing that and having a bigger group of employers and and students. But then I also think that there are some things that I haven't seen just yet, but I'm hopefully putting myself in a position to uh, be successful with that are coming. That that's such a great outlook. I just want to underscore that for everyone who's listening. 
so you obviously have some plans in place. Your life is not just, you know, helter skelter, but you also are really open to newness, to opportunity, uh, to possibilities that come your way. And because of that, you aren't predetermining what what success will look like when uh, you look, you know, you're looking ahead, you're actually reflecting back that last year, wow, all these things have come together that have, you know, all are really great, but you probably didn't know at the outset that they were going to happen quite this way. So, right. And I think what you've got to do as an individual is try to put yourself in those situations, you know, create a roadmap, but don't be upset if you happen to deviate just a little bit because that little deviation you may find a whole nother world that was unknown to you and you'd be so happy that you did. I have to tell you that might have been the best takeaway of today's conversation. That's that's a good one right there. It's tweetable in fact. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna put links in the show notes to everything we mentioned. I'll I'll put a link to your LinkedIn account so people can find you on there because uh, it's a great way for people to find you and and stay connected. I'll put a link to Renaissance because I'm sure people will be curious about that program. One in three, because that's a fantastic program happening in Boston. Lead Boston, because it's a great leadership program. Uh, And Cage, is there anything else you'd like me to include so people can learn more about the projects you're working on? Sure. I'm always happy to have people reach out to me via LinkedIn or Facebook. Fantastic. I'll include those links as well so that you can, you know, keep being open to new experiences and connecting with people online as well as off. Well, thank you so much for for spending some time with me today and sharing about your experience in leadership and and your journey to getting there. It's uh it's been really wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Robbie. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sanam Kumahia. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One thing that stood out for me was his setting an intention to read more frequently. I'm sure he's not alone in having this desire to be more well-read. How many books are stacked in your nightstand right now? Could you cut back 15 minutes a day from Facebook to help get yourself back into the habit of reading daily? It's a great way to unwind before bed and much better for all of us than staring at a screen right before it lights out. If you're ready to flip up to the phrase, leaders or readers, post your intention to read daily in the comments in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com, and we can hold each other accountable. Another takeaway was how open Sanam was to new opportunities. How can you apply the experiences and connections from your day job to another passion of yours? Seek leadership opportunities such as Sanam's role in 1 in 3 Boston, which was perfectly complementing his personal interests and skill set from his job at CAGE. Don't be afraid to jump into an opportunity that presents itself, even if on the surface, it doesn't seem like a natural next step. Sanam dared to take on a leadership role at a charter school, despite not being a parent or an alum. Here's the tweetable version of what he said right as we were wrapping up our conversation. Don't be upset if you have to deviate from your roadmap. You may find a whole nother world and be so happy that you did. I'll have a click the tweet link available in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. And if you are like Sanam and have intentions of keeping in touch with people by scheduling lots of coffees and lunches, you may want to invest in a CRM to help keep track of who you've been in touch with recently and which contacts are fading. I manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant using Contactually, a robust CRM 
perfect for managing my professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial, and I'll help get you set up for success. Visit Contactually.com slash invite slash muse for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of another episode together. Thank you for listening to On The Schmooze. This podcast is still in the first eight weeks. We can try to get into new and noteworthy. So I'm especially grateful to all of you who have already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. You can find the show on iTunes by visiting itunes.ontheschmooze.com. By subscribing and leaving a rating review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave a rating review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be talking about graceful exit strategies so you won't keep getting stuck in conversations while networking. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.